It was 47 years ago this week. 47 years ago this week, the lunar module of the Apollo 11 sat down on the surface of the moon. On July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong took the first step for a human being on the surface of the moon. He uttered words that have historically been recorded like this. One, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, interestingly enough, there's some controversy uh, over what Armstrong actually said. He insists that he said one small step for a man and that it just wasn't picked up well in the in the static uh, uh, there along the way but uh, folks have tried to to break down the recordings through the year and have kind of came away with a mixed uh, bag and what historically went out there in 69 was one small step for man one giant leap for mankind a lot of folks know that they know the landing. They know the name Armstrong. They know uh, at least a lot of what was said. What most folks don't realize is something else that took place as a part of that landing. Buzz Aldrin, who was the other astronaut there in the, the lunar module, the other one who was one of the first two men to walk the, the face of the moon there, had taken with him a small communion kit from his home church. And he, on air, asked everyone to contemplate the events of the day and to give thanks. And then in a radio blackout for privacy, Aldrin read these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And silently, he gave thanks. And there on the surface of the moon, he took the bread and he took the cup. It's interesting that for centuries now, there has been something significant about the bread and the cup. Something that transcends languages and nationalities, transcends denominational distinctives. There is something about the, the significance of this bread and this cup that still speaks to us centuries now removed from an upper room. Despite the differences, we can celebrate together this powerful reminder. This significant supper didn't begin 47 years ago on the surface of the moon. It was instituted centuries ago in an upper room. And in that upper room, Matthew records for us these words about those moments. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, 
This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In those moments, Jesus took familiar elements of a Passover meal and infuse them with new meaning, with new significance. So significant that centuries later, believers all over the world still take that bread and that cup and celebrate all that it stands for. And we're going to invite you to do that in just a few moments today to be a part of a larger Christian community and partake of this incredible symbol of the bread and the cup. But in preparation for that, I want us to spend just a few minutes thinking about the significance. The significance, first of all, just of the names. The the very names that we use to describe this bread and and, and cup are are significant in and of themselves. Uh, Maybe many of you, if you came from like a Baptist or other tradition, maybe the name you most are familiar with is, is a Lord's Supper. A Lord's Supper. And that name has some significance because it is a, it is a reminder that, that this bread and this cup isn't just for anybody, but it is for those who recognize the rightful lordship of Jesus Christ. It is for those who are truly his followers, truly his disciples. And so we come, and even in the name, we recognize that there is something inherent, there is something significant that we're saying, even when we pick up that bread and take up that cup, that we belong to him, that he is our Lord. He is the rightful ruler, the rightful one to reign in our lives. It is our Lord's Supper. Some of you may have come from traditions where a more common terminology would have been the Eucharist. The Eucharist has just as the background of that word, thanksgiving. Excuse me. (laughs) That it's about it's about the thanksgiving that we bring to these moments, that, that we, we reflect on the, the bread and the cup and the meaning behind them. And, and there's gratitude, there's a thankfulness that fills our hearts, and it, it, it is designed in part to, to, to fan into flame anew and afresh the gratitude for all that Jesus Christ did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so even as we approach this, we think about the name of it, and we think about the gratitude and the thanksgiving that we are to bring to these moments. Some of you may be more familiar with the term communion. (coughs) Communion speaks of relationship. It speaks of community. That we have now a relationship, an opportunity to commune and be in community with God as our Heavenly Father. That because of what Jesus Christ has done, we are now part of God's forever family. 
But not only that we are connected to, to God as our Father, but we are connected to others. We are connected to others in this, in this community of faith as brothers and sisters in Christ that we are together part of God's forever family. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, describes this, this community, this relationship with these words. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That as we take up these elements, we, we are reminded of what, what Jesus did, that in his death, that, that he broke down that which divided, that which divided us from a, a holy God in our, in our sin, and, and he broke down that wall of hostility. He, he enabled us to experience a peace with God, but not only with God, but with one another. And in a world when on here in July of 2016, when it seems like when you turn on the news that we continue to hear of, of heightened lack of peace, uh, of, of increased hatred and hostility and uh, racial tensions and tensions between nations, and we've all experienced tension between people, and we come to these moments and, and we, we recognize, wait a minute, there's something greater than. There is something greater than hostility. There is something greater than the things that would divide us. And that is what can bring us together in Jesus Christ. We are reminded of the community, the relationships that we are designed for with God and with one another. But not only are the names significant, but the symbolism is significant. The symbolism of those two elements that make up this meal are incredibly significant. The bread reminds us of the body of Christ. That God in the flesh, God who gave up the glories of heaven to take on human flesh, to, to walk and endure all the things that we endure as, as part of this body in a sin-scarred world, that this body that would be beaten and bruised and broken open for, uh, for our sin, and we're, we're reminded that he came in a body and was tempted in every way as we were, yet was without sin. We were reminded of all of that as we take up a bread and then as we take up the cup we're reminded of the blood of Christ a precious blood the scripture talks about a blood that was innocent because it was without sin it was a blood that was powerful in its impact and its effect the scripture says that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin that all of those Old Testament sacrifices, all the, those did not have inherent in and of themselves anything to take care of our sin problem. They always pointed forward. They pointed forward to the one sacrifice that was going to be sufficient for our sins, was going to be sufficient for us to be reconciled with a holy God. And that was the sacrifice of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we take up these very simple elements... We are reminded of a powerful truth. We are reminded of God's love. For God, this God, he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. As we take these elements, we're reminded that, that left to our own devices, we, we were under the, the, the righteous, just, holy wrath of God. But that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. In love, he moved toward us. In love, he provided a forgiveness for us. He provided a covering. He provided a way for us to be made right with him. These two symbols remind us of the extraordinary, extraordinary lengths that God was willing to go to seek us. Sometimes we, we, we talk about somebody who's seeking God. But, but here's the reality. There is not a one of us that ever seeks God unless God first seeks us. That, that God sought us out. That God did extraordinary things to reach out to us before we ever had any inclination of seeking him out. I, I want you maybe just to think for a moment with me. What's, what's the most expensive meal you've ever had? Maybe, maybe, it was a, maybe it was a meal marking some special event or special occasion, a, a grand celebration in the life of, of your family. Maybe it was on a vacation somewhere. You were just, you were taking this great vacation and you were just, you were just kind of splurging. You were enjoying this, this extravagant meal that you just normally wouldn't. Or, or let's maybe face it for some of us, maybe it was a business trip because you weren't paying for it, right? And so it's kind of like, well, we'll take the client out here and we'll, we'll really, we'll really eat a really good meal here, right? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that this morning, you're going to have the most expensive meal that you've ever had. Now, there are a lot of places you can get an expensive meal. If you're in Tokyo, there's a restaurant there that offers you a bowl of ramen. must be good because they charge you $110 for it. Not quite what you cooked up in your microwave, was it, huh? Maybe the next time you find yourself in Sacramento, California, you can go to the Capital Dog. The Capital Dog serves up the Ultra Dog, the world's most expensive hot dog. You can purchase that in the neighborhood of $145.99. I'm just giving you some lunch options for later today here, all right? You check them out. Here's the one I really don't understand. In Scotland, you can order a bottle of end-of-history beer. It's Belgian ale packaged inside a taxidermied squirrel carcass. I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but for you to understand it, it'll cost you somewhere between $800 and $1,100 there. Go figure, right? Next time you're in New York City, stop by the Westin Hotel. You can pick up a white truffle bagel there for only $1,000. Or if you don't like that, there's another option, the Golden Opulent Sunday sells also for about $1,000, which includes rare cocoa beans harvested off the coast of Venezuela. I don't know if any of you have been there. 
If you find yourself in uh, the British Isles, you can, uh, for $2,000 or $16,000 for the whole pie, you can enjoy a, a, a special meat pie. It has a savory combination of six pounds of Kobe beef, some special mushrooms which sell by themselves, $910 per pound. So $2,000 a slice for this special meat pie. Let me just offer you one other lunch suggestion for today. In Italy, Chef Viola's Louis XIII pizzas, loaded with lobster, caviar, eight different types of cheese, and seasoned with hand-picked pink Australian river salt, and sells for the bargain price of $12,000 there. Those are some expensive meals. (laughs) But the most expensive meal is the one you're getting ready to partake. Because this meal cost Jesus giving up the glories of heaven and coming to earth and taking on human flesh and living a life of perfect love and perfect obedience in a sin-scarred world. It cost him the betrayal of one of his closest and the desertion of the others. He faced an unjust trial. His body was beaten and whipped. His blood was shed. He carried a cross. He was nailed to the cross, crown of thorns. And the physical pain was not the worst. The physical cost was not the most expensive. The greatest cost was when he absorbed the full wrath, the righteous, just wrath of a holy God. And he who knew no sin took on the weight of all of our sin so that he could offer us forgiveness and righteousness. You will never have a more expensive meal than the one you're going to partake of in just a few moments. The bread and the cup, the broken body, and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. While the names are significant and the symbolism is significant, the supper is significant because of its purpose. The purpose is significant. It was interesting, Pat was just talking about just a moment ago, a change of pace and change of place. And, and there is something about even we try to be very intentional when we, we take time to observe the Lord's Supper to kind of change it up just a, just a little bit. And we want to we wanna give you time to, to, to think and to reflect. We don't want to rush through uh, those moments. We, we want you to, to be able to, to do some, some looking, uh, if you will. And we want to suggest to you this morning that as we prepare for the bread and the cup that we, we look backwards. We look backwards with gratitude. We look backward with thanksgiving. Just so incredibly grateful for what God did for us that we could not do for ourselves. The rescue that he has provided. A few years ago I read about a, a couple of friends, Jermaine Washington and Michelle Stevens. And their habit now is to get together a few times a month for what they have called a gratitude lunch, and with good reason. Washington donated a kidney to Stevens, whom he described as really just a friend. They met at work where they would occasionally have lunch together. And one day Michelle wept as she spoke about waiting on a kidney donor. 
And she had been on the donor list for 11 months and sustained by dialysis. But she was battling chronic fatigue, blackouts, severe joint pain. Because Washington couldn't stand the thought of watching his friend die, he gave up one of his kidneys. And since that time, they get together a few times a month for a gratitude lunch, just as a way to say thank you. Thank you for what you gave for me. Can I suggest to you today that as you take the bread and the cup, it might be a gratitude lunch? It might just be a way to look back and say thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. But not only look backward with gratitude and thanksgiving, but look inward. To look inward with reflection and, and where prompted repentance. To, to come, and, and not that we come in, in perfection to this moment, but we come and, and we come and just say, God, you know, I, I don't want to bring junk to the table. I don't want to bring offensive baggage to the table. I don't want to bring to, to this symbol of your broken body and your shed blood unrepentant, undealt with sin that, that you died for. You died so that I wouldn't have to face the penalty for that. You died so that I would no longer have to live under the dominion of that. And, and God helped me not to bring that junk to the table, right? And so it is appropriate. Before I come, take the bread and the cup. Let me make sure I'm not bringing unnecessary baggage. Let me release. Let me turn away from anew and afresh any of those things that is displeasing to the one who loves me so. I look inward with reflection and repentance. But it's also a time we're encouraged to look outward with forgiveness and where appropriate, where possible, reconciliation. And we talked a few weeks ago about extending grace to others, but and then that's kind of inherent in this, that as we have been forgiven, we are to forgive others. And, and so it may be that even as we think about coming to the table, we think, God, is there, is there anybody I need to just, I, I just need to release them to you. Is there any hurt, any wound, any bitterness that I've been hanging on to that I just, I just need to say, God, this, you died for this junk. I'm releasing it to you. Even as I've been forgiven, I'm going to forgive another. And it may be that he'll even prompt you towards some steps toward reconciliation. But there's one other look I would encourage you to engage in as part of coming to the table, and that's to look forward with anticipation and celebration. So to look forward because it is, it is a tremendous opportunity to look back with, with gratitude and thanksgiving and to look inward and to look, around, look outward and around. But, but it's this time also where I'm reminded, wait a minute, this is, this is part of a larger story. We are, we, we are going to continue to do this, but we're doing this with anticipation of what is to come. Paul wrote to the Corinthians these words, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
There is an anticipation in this. How long are we going to observe this? I mean, we've been doing this for centuries now. How long are we going to take this bread and take this cup until he comes? Until he comes. Because the crucifixion wasn't the last word, as powerful as a word as it was. But there was a resurrection and there was an ascension. And Jesus Christ is coming again someday. And he is going to invite us to a feast, to, to this, this marriage feast of, of the Lamb. And so we, we come with anticipation of what is yet to come. As, as good and as wonderful and as unbelievable as what he has already done for us, what still yet lies ahead? We come with celebration in our hearts for the victory that has been won. We come celebrating the fact that death does not have the last word, but the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has the last word. We come with all of that as we take the bread and we take the cup. And because all of that is to be a part of this simple bread and this simple cup, Paul, prompted by the Spirit, encourages us to Take some time and examine. For whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that's what we want you to do in the next few minutes. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, the tension I always feel in reading that verse, in sharing that verse in this setting, is to know that there's a tendency for us to go to extremes. For some of us, there may be a tendency to say, yeah, 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 I've been there, done that. Just can we move this along? And not really enter into the, the fullness of all that it represents. On the other extreme are those that may feel so convicted that they feel like, I, I, am, I am unworthy. I'm unworthy to take this bread. I'm unworthy to take this cup. I'm not good enough. And if that is your tendency, can I just say to you, that's, that's the reason for the supper? that you weren't good enough and you aren't good enough? If I was good enough, if you were good enough, there would not have had to have been a cross. There would not have been a broken body and a shed blood. But he did that for you. Yes, absolutely. Reflect. Get rid of some unhealthy baggage. Release some things that you've been holding on to that he doesn't want to hold you hold on to anymore. But come to the table. Come to the table not because you're good enough, but because of what he has done for you that you could not have ever done for yourself. So this is what I want to invite you to do over these next few minutes. I want to pray for you. And then I'm just going to lead you through a time where we're just going to reflect. We're going to reflect on the, the, the meaning of these moments in preparation for taking uh, the bread and the cup. 
So let's just bow our heads together, if you would, very kindly do that with me right now. I want to pray for us, and then I want to guide us in a time of reflection together. Father, we come just to praise you, praising you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your holiness, for your perfect provision for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I I just pray even right now, Lord, that we would not just rush through these moments. I pray that we would not miss these moments. I pray, Father, that we would just be wide open to whatever it is that you desire to say to us in these moments. Father, we're just going to pause in your presence a change of pace to just focus on you to listen and to respond 